You know how you have these ideas sometimes um, and you think, I wonder how this will work. And then you start to plan for it and then the pieces of the puzzle slowly come together and then it comes to the day and then you think, what on earth was I thinking? Well, today might be one of those days. Um, You see, today is a day where I wanted to involve you in making some choices about what we would look at um, as far as the different um, topics. So we had a whole range of different topics that I was going to speak on today. Uh, and I thought I'd, when, I, when we're looking at the whole area of spiritual disciplines, I thought I'd go through a few different ones and think, well, I can prepare material on all of those, but what's going to potentially scratch where you're itching? And so we've got confession, we've got spiritual conversations, uh, we've got stewardship, we've got service and Sabbath, we've got worship, uh, we've got simplicity, and we've got spiritual direction and mentoring. And it looks like worship and simplicity are the two that you're wanting me to talk about today. So as we think about the whole area of spiritual disciplines, Today we're going to be moving into dangerous territory. I'm not sure about you, but I fear electricity. I recall being at high school and our science teacher um, invited us uh, and a group of us to come out the front and hold one another's hands. So I was really quick to volunteer because I thought I was going to get a chance to hold a girl's hand. But alas, that wasn't going to happen. Um, So we were out the front and we were holding hands and the the teacher connected some electrical cables at one end for one student to hold and some electrical cables at another end for another student to hold. And whilst we were all holding hands, he allowed this electrical current to flow through each one of us and our hands gripped tighter involuntarily and then we started to contort as our muscles contracted and then he released it and then he turned up the the I'm not sure what is it ampage or wattage I'm not sure which one it would be but he he ramped it up a bit so that it was relatively safe but he just said if I changed one of the settings I could have killed all of you then the other thing that he did was he connected up a um, a light between the two of it, uh, a few of us, and we were actually able to see the light start to glow as well as a result of that. Um, electricity is a dangerous thing, and I fear it because I just can't see it. And what I can't see that can kill me is something that I'm a bit timid about. Um, electricity has the ability to both give life and to take it away. We've got an AED out in the hospitality area, which if someone's heart stopped beating or started to um, go into funny rhythms, then we can go out, grab that, pop that on their chest and the electrical pulses that it sends through your body will help your heart to beat in a good rhythm until emergency services arrive. That could be straight after you've stuck a knife in a PowerPoint. Electricity has the ability 
to both bring harm and to help. For Paul and the churches in Galatia, there is dangerous territory that Paul is wanting to navigate them through. You see, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. And naturally, as a disciple of Jesus, this involves choices and disciplines. But to have the latter, to have discipline without the former, a personal relationship with Jesus, to be in a relationship as a disciple of Jesus, is like holding the bare wires of live electrical cables or to stick a knife into a PowerPoint. It is dangerous stuff. It is killer stuff. To follow disciplines without a relationship kills. It doesn't bring life. That's why Matt's message last week was so very important. Spiritual discipline without relationship is like unregulated, undirected electricity. It kills. Whereas discipline within the bounds, within relationship where it's like directed, intentional electricity that is there to bring life, to bring light to us. For the Galatians, there was a rejection of the relationship and the power of grace that was, that was going on for them. It was as if they were plugged into empty religion and religious practices devoid of heart and life. Like a kid sticking a knife into a PowerPoint socket, Paul saw the inevitability of their actions, that it was going to lead to spiritual death. So from the depths of Paul's being, Paul screams out to the Galatians, stop, don't do it. Following disciplines without a relationship is going to kill you. So if you were to follow the practices that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, without a deep, without a personal relationship with Jesus, then stop it. Don't do it. It might look good on the outside, but as Jesus said, you will end up as whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. In Paul's letter to the Gauls, he writes this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news, but is not good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Later on in Galatians, he goes on to say in chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favour with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You do not, you did not treat, mistreat me when I first preached. And he goes on and keeps on talking some more about that. But one thing's for sure. 
that being a disciple of Jesus invites us to live a disciplined life, to enter into spiritual disciplines and practices, not to earn our salvation, but to enhance, to open up ourselves to a vibrant, dynamic, passionate relationship with the divine. Like any relationship, when you invest into a relationship with time, with focus, it becomes better as a result. Paul acknowledges this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 to 10, when he says, pay careful attention to your own work and then you will, be, you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we're each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught, uh, those who are taught the word, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. And just the, at, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whatever we ha- whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. You see, there's a vast range of spiritual disciplines that we can invest time and energy that does um, that helps us to focus and to enrich our relationship with God, and that it will bring a blessing not only to us but also to others as a result. And so today I just want to focus on two of those and we can have a bit of a chat. So I'll use the microphone as well and we're going to have a bit of a conversation about some of these different things. And so um, you've chosen, uh, what it was it again? Worship and simplicity. And so we're going to spend some time looking at what worship is like. So not only did I just prepare rather than just one message. As I said, you, you have this idea and you what a great idea and then you have to deliver on it and you're thinking, what on earth? So there's um, a range of different that we can look at today and so you've chosen worship and simplicity. So let me pull up some notes on both of those. And what I also want to um, mention is there's two books and we'll show those books on the screen now. Um, there is Richard Foster's study guide, A Celebration of Discipline. Has anyone seen that book before? Celebration of Discipline? Great book. So he comes from, um, he's a theologian, comes from a Quaker tradition and has some really great insight. It's a, it's a classic book that is really well worthwhile the read. And the other one that is really good is The Sacred Way by Tony Jones. Now that's not the Tony Jones who's the Australian journalist who appears on Q&A. Tony Jones um, is a theologian from America and he also he studied at Princeton um, Theological Seminary, uh, author uh, and uh, has a, a bit of a focus on post-modernity and some of the emerging church stuff. And so he's looked at some ancient traditions and so we'll be looking at some of that stuff um, over the next couple of weeks as well. So as we think about worship, If you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
verses 6 to 9. And thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, and I'll read some, um, some, some of those verses. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. And it's a passage that you would know fairly well, and I'll read it. I'll actually start from verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4, and I'll read through it. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving. Repeat them again and again. To Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So when you think about worship, one of the things that we often get caught up in thinking about is that worship is something that takes place on a Sunday. And we forget that we should come as a culmination of all the different opportunities and times and places that we can worship God during the week. So our worship on Sunday should come out of us being worshippers during the week. Now, who voted for worship? So if you want to just put up your hand, if you can remember putting up your hand for worship, okay. So let me, um, I'll put you on the spot just a little bit. So does anyone want to volunteer why you put up uh, or why you voted for worship? What was going on for you? Um, Was it just because... It seemed like the best of a bad bunch or was it uh, for some other reason? So anyone want to volunteer why they uh, voted for worship or gone shy? Paul's going to respond to that. David, yeah, while we worship two in a week and we accumulate all the spiritual uh, connection with God, I think it's about uh, just right to come in the presence of God, and to uh, give all the worship that you have in your life, mm-hmm. to gather all the spiritual things that you have done and bring it up on Sundays. Yep. And I'm talking that because I am an old man, but uh, and a traditionalist, but I think some of us will agree with that. Yeah. So there's a few people correcting Paul that he's not that old after all. There's a gentleman by the name of Warren Weasby. I'm not sure whether you've heard of him, but um, Warren Weasby talks about uh, worship. And this is the definition of worship. Worship is responding to all that God is and does with all that I am and have. So let's stop and think about that for a moment. Worship is responding to all that God is and does. Even if God did not do anything, He is still worthy of worship because He is God. The difference is, if you think about worshipping God because of what He does, we end up setting up God as Santa. And as long as God does the things that we like, then we repay Him by worshipping Him. Whereas because God is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Not because of all that he does. And then out of that, out of God's character, he acts. God is loving. 
So he acts in a loving way. We worship a loving God, both because of who he is and because of what he does. Worship, responding to all that God is and uh, uh, worship is responding to all that God is and does with all that I am and have. So let's think about that for a moment. All that I am, all that I own, all that I am as a person, all that I do should come as an act of work. All that I am and have, all my possessions, all those, all those things around me are also things that I can respond to God in worship. So when we think about that, responding to all that God is and does with all that I am and have, it blows out the pit of worship being something that we just do. That worship is something that we do when we sing. That worship is something that we do when we have communion. Worship is something that we do when we bring out offering. Worship is something that we do in our conversations. Worship is something that we do when we drive our cars. Worship is something that we do when we're filling out our tax return. Worship is something that we do when we deal with conflict. Responding to all that God with all that I am and have. You know, there's a whole range of different things. Um, Our possessions uh, are established, are given to us, and they are given to us for our life, but they're also given to us by God. They are owned by God. We are stewards of them. And so the way we respond, the way we handle those things that we've been entrusted with um, are important that we don't allow those things to become a distraction from worshipping of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10, it talks about when the people of Israel move into the promised land, when they set themselves up, when they've got their homes, when they've got their vineyards, when they've got their olive groves, when they've got all the different things, when they've got their sheep, when they've got their life established, Moses gives them a really solid warning in Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. And he says, when you get there, make sure you don't allow these things distraction, that as a result of all this stuff around you, that you forget God. Now, remember the difference. They had all this time in the wilderness where they were relying on God every single day, when they weren't sure where their next meal was going to come from, where they were fearful of the tribes around them and the potential of attack. And so all this time, they were looking to God, they were pressing in close to God to say, God, we need to stick close to you because we are relying on you for every breath, every moment of every day. But it's so easy when we get ourselves established, when we've gotten into the rhythm of life, that we can forget God and forget to worship God. Also, we are not the only ones. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 32 and 33, it talks about how all creation worships God. So if you think that worship only happens here, no, it doesn't. It doesn't just happen in churches of Christ. Baptists do actually know how to worship God. Protestants um, across all different denominations, Pentecostals through to Catholics, through to um, Anglicans, all know how to worship God. They might worship God differently. Salvation Army, who don't have communion, don't practice baptism, but can still worship God. But not only other people 
and other languages, but all creation, 1 Chronicles, worships. And so we can learn from creation in how to worship God. Jesus, when he was walking, uh, when he was riding on the donkey and accepting the praise of the people heading into Jerusalem, the religious leaders were upset by God, uh, by, by Jesus accepting the praise of the people. And he said, if they were to be silent, even stones would cry out in worship of all creation. So we can worship God in a variety of ways. We can So it's not just through, but I've seen footage of someone welding and they're welding this, this um, object as, a, as an aid for us to worship. We have a painting on the wall that helps us to focus and to worship God. So it's not just our songs, it's not just the reading of the Bible, but it's all things can help to bring us focus and to worship God. In Psalm 15 is a great self-check psalm when it comes to worshipping. In Psalm 15 it says, Who may ascend? Who may go and worship God? Those who have a clean hand and a pure heart. And so the psalmist goes through this whole self-check thing. And so if you ever want to take some time to reflect on and uh, think about what it means to come before God and to worship Him, then have a read through Psalm 15. But don't read it as a disqualifier for you to worship God. Read it as a way to engage and to say, okay, God, rather than it being something that has me pull away from you because I don't meet the mark, read it in such a way that helps us, helps you to say, hey, God, I need you all the more. That it can give energy, that it can give excitement, that it can give desire for our connection with God. Um, we're possibly going to look at, as a part of our You Ask For It series, or just after that, um, the potential of doing a labyrinth. And in this station's labyrinth, there's going to be a whole range of different places where we can worship God in a whole range of different ways. So incense are a tool that we can use to worship God. We can use all sorts of things. Often what's happened is with the Protestant church, we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We, we said, oh, look, these things can become idols. They can become distractions. So let's get rid of them all. Let's strip our buildings down to be um, as plain as they can possibly be because we don't want to allow them to um, become distractions from our worship of God. And then what we've ended up doing is we've impeded our ability to use other things, the arts, to help us to connect with God. You go to any Catholic church, any good Catholic church, and you will see across the walls the stations of the cross. And they can be a great reminder of the Passion Week and of, of Jesus coming to the point of allowing his body to be sacrificed for us. The arts are a great way to help us to connect with God. Um, does anyone have any particular questions that you want to ask me about worship and that sort of stuff before we hit the other one about simplicity? The final thing that I want to say in based on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, is worship is always deeply personal, but it was never meant to be private. 
If you read through that passage again, then one of the things that we discover is how public and how modelling it is to others around us. And again, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them, words of our lips. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. You can imagine them on the road, seeing the mountains, seeing the trees, seeing the sheep, talking about God at work in creation and how creation was created by God and for God's glory. Do we use those things around us to help the next generation to connect with? It's really important that we do that. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up again. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Our worship of God, our adoration of God, our love of God is never meant to be something private. It was always meant to be something that was public, but still very deeply. So worship is something that is beyond Sunday. Worship is something that is beyond singing and Bible reading, communion, all those different things. Worship is celebrated through the arts and we can use the arts to worship God in amazing ways. The other thing that you wanted me to talk about briefly was about simplicity. So before we talk about simplicity, were there any questions that you had about worship? Let me ask you this then before we go to simplicity. What have you found really helpful for you in your worship? So when you think about when you worship God, what are some of the things that help you to worship God? One of the things that I believe is that you can inspire me, inspire others as well of God. So what helps you to worship God? Does anyone want to stick up their hand and, and share with others about what helps them to worship God? Yep. Thinking as you were talking then, David, uh, a song that comes to me, Worship the Lord in the Beauty of Holiness. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, growing up as a youngster, what... Uh, really affected me in my worship was um, around the Grampians and around Monbolk. Monbolk, where we had a church camp, there was a chapel which was built looking into the valley and this was a wonderful time where you could share in the beauty of worship. Mm. And the same um, at uh, the Grampians. Uh, We used to sing a song as we were walking uh, Jacob's Ladder we are climbing higher, higher. And this was uh, certainly a very enriching thing, worshipping in the hills of the Grampians. So worship in the beauty of holiness is an important one. And to me too, coming here, sitting down, and one thing which we don't seem to do a lot these days is have a little prayer. And this prepares the way uh, as we worship Uh, our creator so there's that element of being still and knowing that i'm god and and centering and and quieting ourselves anyone else want to share something about what helps them in the aspect of worship just listening to your sermons you do worship god in so many but what came to me was the fact that and how sometimes we would say bother words yep but we get down we on the other side of the exercise we are getting by using our body to remove. Mm. And so for me, it's a way of God at the same time. Yep. 
And we can celebrate and say, thanks God that I'm able to do this and recognise God's goodness there. Anyone else that want to share anything that helps them in their worship of God? And then we'll have a quick chat about simplicity. Just singing old hymns. Yep. In adoration and prayers. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. You know, there was a comment that I heard at one stage about how um, generations today, they don't, they don't sing. And so singing is, you know, forget it in churches uh, for uh, the younger generation because they're not into it, especially men. Men don't sing. But you go to any football game and at the end of the football game, how many men will be there singing their team song? I think one of the things that we forget is that men are happy to sing, but men want to sing songs that um, are almost like their, whether they're victory chant or their, their war songs, their, their songs that lead them into battle. And there are some great hymns and there are some modern songs as well that help to capture that. So as far as singing goes and, and some of the hymns that we do, there can be some great ones there. Simplicity. Um, simplicity is something that um, is great when it's entered into voluntarily as opposed to being forced upon you. Uh, have you ever noticed that when something's taken away from you that you think, hang on, I don't really like that, um, but when you voluntarily give it up, it's a bit different. And so sometimes uh, our views about owning stuff and having stuff and acquiring stuff um, can have a, a pretty big impact on our relationship with God and as a spiritual discipline. And so there is this view that with the trappings of life, remember how I talked about Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10, and how the stuff of life can become a distraction? Simplicity is a spiritual discipline that helps to encourage us to challenge those views of just acquiring a little more. If only I had this. It also helps us to focus on the simple things rather than I need this to worship God or I need this to develop in my relationship with God. Simplicity helps us to look at the simple things in life. Um, Jesus called his followers not to get distracted, not to get caught up, not to get worried about the things of life. You might recall in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, where Jesus um, talks about having a life of simplicity. Jesus lived a life of simplicity. When people wanted to follow him, he said, hey, hang on, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, that didn't mean that he was sleeping rough all the time, but there were probably times when he did. But he was not someone that had his own house. He was couch surfing a lot of the time when he was doing his trips around. He would visit and live with other people and stay with them. We can often think that um, I need these things and so much stuff in life to be able to get through life rather than focusing on our relationship with God. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through to 34, it talks about the worries of life. Have you ever wondered or have you ever noticed that the more you have, the more you have to worry about at times? Whereas when you live simply, there's a lot less to worry about. 
that it gets brought down to what am I going to eat, what might I wear, you know, how am I going to stay warm, those sorts of, it really boils it down to the, the smallest of details rather than um, what, you know, what uh, car am I going to buy or all these other things or what curtains will I put up, all those extra things. There's a definition of contentment. Contentment is wanting what I already have. Contentment, wanting what I already have. So rather than wanting more, wanting to look to more things, simplicity is about stripping it back to say, okay, what do I really need? What's most important? If you were to think about what's most important in your life, what would it be? What would be the most important thing for you? You know, the world calls us to buy the latest thing, to climb the corporate ladder, to keep up with the Joneses, not necessarily Matt and Roz Jones, but other Joneses, um, to keep up with the Joneses. Contentment and a discipline of simplicity challenges and transforms the way we view those things. You can read about some more of that in Philippians chapter 4, that Jesus did not hang on to, want to grab hold of, all the glory of heaven, but he was prepared to give those things to take on humanity, human life. If there was anyone that had the world at his feet, it was Jesus. But rather than holding on to the the grandeur, the awesomeness of being the Son of God and all the angels worshipping him and all power and all knowledge and being all present, Jesus was prepared to come and restrict himself down to take on a simple for a relationship with him. Going back to that Deuteronomy passage, so often the things of life can distract us from a relationship with God. Simplicity also challenges selfishness. Have you ever noticed about if someone takes something, how you want to pull it back? Whereas simplicity challenges that, about what is most important. What are the things that are most important to me? It also encourages us to have a generosity of heart and a generosity of mind as well. Simplicity also brings about a collaboration of resources. Simplicity actually brings about a better world as a result. How many here own a lawnmower? Now, hold your hand up. How many here believe that you know your neighbour owns a lawnmower? Okay. How many of you think you really do need to own a lawnmower of your own or a mower your neighbour needs to own a lawnmower? You know, it's the sort of thing where um, if you share resources, if you live more simply, it may mean you share a resource like a lawnmower with your neighbour. Simplicity. And then it also brings about collaboration and interaction with your neighbour as a result. We've got a question over here. Yep. Thanks, Helen. Yep, it is. Door does the nature strip and a bit of the slope for me. Isn't that great? And it's a it's quite a big slope. So I thank him for that. Yeah, yep. Thank you. Yep. Fantastic. So there's the sharing of responsibilities. Um, the Darabin City Council have just approved the a car parking space out the side in Oakover Road where there's going to be another shared car. So in Wars Road, there's a shared car that's parked there. There's another one that's going to be coming up in Oakover Road. Once again, there's this model of simplicity that's starting to bubble up. Do we always need to have a car of our own? 
Or can we save resources by sharing a car with others as well? There's those different things. And um, sharing of resources and living more simply also has a positive impact on the planet as well because we don't consume as much as a result. So simplicity can deal with worry. Simplicity can help us to focus on God. Simplicity can help us to build relationship with neighbours and collaborate and to work together. And simplicity can also have a positive impact on our environment as well. At Northern, we value simplicity. At Northern, we base some of our economic structure around simplicity. The fact that we have an op shop where people can, um, rather than throwing out their clothes, they can donate their clothes so that others, rather than having to buy new clothes that involve a whole heap more of resources, a greater impact on the planet, that we can use those clothes that have already been, or also with the furniture as well, fixing up furniture. We live in a a throwaway society and simplicity encourages us to see what we can do about extending the life of things as well. Jesus also challenges us to live simply in our speech. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We can often be long-winded, circumloquacious, as my wife would say, um, to talk around in circles. But Jesus, someone's thinking, maybe David should be taking some of his own advice right now. Um, No. (laughs) But we can even be simple and, and speak more by letting our yes be yes and our no be no as well. Simplicity challenges us about the way we live and helps us to narrow things and to say, what is my encouragement to you is to think about what can I do this week to live more, to consider what you can do. We're going to wrap up. Um, what we're going to do is over the next week and uh, with this series, we're going to pull together some resources that can help you, that you can take away some stuff um, that will encourage us to think about some of these. Sports. But to wrap up, there's a slide that will pull up on the screen now and I want to encourage you to reflect upon it. And that is, when you think about, when you think about worship, what's something from today's time together that I can put into practice over the coming week? And what unanswered question does this raise for me? And how is God calling me to respond? So what's something from today's time together that I can put into practice over the coming week? What unanswered question does it raise for me? And how is God calling me to respond? I'm going to give us a few minutes to reflect upon those things. And then there's going to be some music played in the background. We'll sing our final song. During that time, the offering will be collected and also those response cards and those uh, you ask for it suggestions as well. So let's respond to God now. God bless you.